Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So we do proclaim the, the goodness of God, and part of God's goodness for us is our scripture reading. And so as a way to honor God's word, we invite you to remain standing as we experience God's word, as we pay attention to his word. And today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahinam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says my servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. Lord, we pray for your goodness. We pray for your truth. Lord, we pray that if, uh, if you're stirring in our hearts reconciliation with people, Lord, even today, that we would just receive that, and Lord, that we would trust in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one of the ongoing sort of movie and television show ideas is this idea of buddy cops or, or buddy people that they, they pair these two very unlikely human beings together. Um, and they have to solve problems and, and move forward together. I always think of, of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black as these two very unlikely people that have to, to work together. And what we see in our story today of Jacob and Esau is really these two unlikely brothers who, who have to work together and who have all sorts of issues along the way. And so Jacob and Esau are very, very different people. And so um, in, our, in our scripture, and, and the scripture we read just tells a little bit. So let me tell us a little bit more of the context of the story. 
All right, and so Esau was born first. These were twins who were wrestling around in the womb. Esau was born first, but coming right behind him was Jacob as he was grabbing the heel of his brother while he was coming out. And so his name, Jacob, means heel. It means heel grabber. This is the origins of his story. And so Esau was the oldest. Now, in, in the Old Testament, that meant a lot in those days. So even though he was just seconds older than his brother, it meant that he had a birthright. He was going to be responsible for the care and the direction of the family and also responsible for the blessing, which meant he got twice as much resources because he had more to care for than his brother. Now, what was interesting is that God told um, their mother that the older would serve the younger. And so this really shapes our story about who Jacob and Esau were. But they, and, and sometimes when you think of twins, you think of identical twins, but these were non-identical twins. Um, Esau, you could think of him as a hairy outdoorsman who was his dad's favorite, all right? Um, Jacob would be a smooth skin, and he would be an avid indoorsman and would be his mom's favorite, all right? And so you can kind of see these two different brothers growing up in the story that we have as well. And so kids, I invite you in box one to draw a picture of Jacob and Esau's young brothers. And what does it look like, these two different people going now, we, we, you might be familiar with their, their story when they were younger. And so that um, one day, Esau, who was out hunting, comes back and he is famished. He is hungry and he is about to die of hunger. As you can imagine, sometimes a, a, a child would do. If I don't eat now, I'm going to die. No, you're probably not going to die. You're probably going to make it, right? But when you're hungry, nothing else matters. And so he comes in one day after hunting. He is famished. He's so hungry. And so he asks his, his brother has just made some stew. And you can almost imagine the, the joy in his brother's eyes when he has this nice stew and he has somebody who is desperate. Supply and demand, right? And so he decides to, to charge the ultimate cost, and he tricks Esau into giving him his birthright, basically saying, could I be the one who receives the direction of the family? And Esau thinks, <clears throat> what difference does it make about having a birthright if I die of hunger today, all right? Somebody needed a protein bar, right, or a Snickers or something, right? You're not you when you're hungry. And so here he makes this decision, and he sells his birthright for a cup of stew. And so this begins Jacob's sort of rise and receiving the benefits of being the older one. Now, later on in the story, as their father Isaac is about to die, he goes and tells Esau to go and prepare him a meal, to go, to go hunt and to go prepare him a meal and then return. And when he returns, he will give him a blessing. Now, their mom hears this and, and has prepared a meal for, for Jacob in order to be able to trick their father and also puts on goat hair um, and sort of puts it over his skin. Now, that must be how hairy Esau is, as hairy as a goat, right? And so whenever Jacob gets close to his father, um, you know, his, his father Isaac touches the hair. All right, he says, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. But he ate the meal and he gave the blessing, 
which meant that he would receive twice as much of the resources. And that is a blessing that could not be taken back. Now, you can only imagine what it would be like when you are Esau and you come back home after hunting and you realize your blessing is gone, your birthright you've already given away, your father is about to die, and there is nothing you can do about it. So what does he do about it? Our scripture tells us this. This is in Genesis 28, verses 41 and 42. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. It's amazing what we get comfort in sometimes, right? And so what happens is, is that Jacob gathers and goes, and he runs away from Esau and runs away from everything. And so kids, in box two, we invite you to draw Jacob running away from Esau. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, we don't really hear much more about Esau for a while, all right? Instead, the story goes and follows Jacob, and he, he goes and uh, meets a man by Laban, and, and he has, Laban has a couple of daughters. Laban tricks him. He marries one, and then he has to wait seven years to marry the other. Meanwhile, he accumulates children um, and what eventually are the 12 tribes of Israel. He accumulates wealth for 20 years. But there's always this uneasiness between him and his relationship with Laban. And so he decides at some point in time, it's best that he gets away from his father-in-law and he takes his family and he comes back home. All right, that's a quick, quick version of the Bible, all right? And so what happens then is that he has to find himself, well, what do I do now? Talk about being stuck between a rock and a hard place. My father-in-law doesn't like me on one side and my brother doesn't like me on the other side, but God says go. And so he prepares to go. And he experiences, and our scripture talks about the dread of reconciliation that he finds himself in. And maybe you found yourself in a place of, of the dread of reconciliation. You know, you haven't talked to the family member for a long time, but you know they're going to be at this wedding. And so you show up at the wedding and you're just dreading what's going to happen there. It's been nice when you've been on vacation, but you got to go back to work and you got to deal with that person again, and you're just dreading it. You messed up as a, as a husband. You sent the flowers ahead of time, but you're hoping that it just calms things down a little bit before you get home, right? We have this dread of reconciliation, and this is the experience that Jacob has as he is worried about what Esau is going to do. Because the last thing that he knew about Esau was that Esau was going to kill him. And he's managed to live 20 years, but maybe this is the end of the road. Now, oftentimes, when we find ourselves in this period of dread, then, then we find ourselves doing a couple of things, right? You've heard about fight or flight. Um, there are some times when we go, we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to be ready for a fight. And, and, and we're, we're, we're ready to just get it on with whoever it is in front of us that we're upset with. And some of us are more prone to, to that fight. There are some of us who we would never get to the place that Jacob did because we would have said, well, um, I can't go there. I'm not going there. I'm going to go that way instead. And we're going to fly away, right? 
Some glad morning, all fly away. I don't think that's what the song means, but that's what we do sometimes, right? And we head away from it, and we avoid the struggles. You know, I read somewhere that there's another thing that sometimes we freeze, and we'll just be paralyzed in our fear. This dread will overtake us, and, and we, we don't have the energy to fight. We don't have the energy to fly away, and we just sort of freeze. But what is it that, that God asks us to do? What is it that God invites us to do as his people? How do we deal with the dread of reconciliation? And so all throughout the series, um, and we began the series, I want to say sometime back in January. Um, I'm not sure how long it's been because we're still living in the time of COVID and days seem like months, right? And so at some point in time back, we've been talking about this pattern of grace in and grace out. What does it look like to receive God's grace and to give it? And we've talked about forgiveness, and we've talked about having mercy eyes to be able to see other people the way God sees them. And last week, as we talked about reconciliation, we talked about these three words, this idea that love goes first. And so for us as the people of God, instead of of fighting, I'm here for a fight, instead of flying, instead of freezing, we choose first to love, and that love goes first that love moves in, and that we engage in relationships with love. And so really for us, reconciliation begins with love and with communicating that need and that desire to somebody else. Again, reconciliation is is when two people agree to work together to be reconciled, all right? And it has to begin with love. And so you may have have seen what, what happened here in our story is that Jacob sends a messenger to Esau. Before he encounters him, he sends a messenger and says, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And so basically he sends, these are the flowers that a spouse would send, right? This is what he has done. He has tried to smooth it. He's trying to say, I'm not here for a fight. I'm here for a relationship. I want to make things well with you. And so reconciliation begins with these overtures of love. It begins with this way of communicating that I am here to, to, to move forward, not to fight about the past. All right, And that's a very important thing. And so whenever we engage somebody and we choose to take this road with somebody, we need to set the tone of love. We need to set it and say, this is what I'm here for. Because if we don't set the tone with love, then they may assume that it is going to be a fight. And they're going to brace for a fight instead of a reconciliation. And so we have to set the tone in that way. Now, the next thing our scripture tells us, and I really think this is an important lesson, is that reconciliation is hopeful, yet realistic. He is hopeful that Esau will receive him, but he is realistic. Did you hear what the scripture said? It said that he divided his family into two camps. So that if, if, you know, so that if he was going to attack one with his 400 men, all right, that maybe the other could get away. I don't think we go into reconciliation and we think, well, this is going to work every time. This is going to go exactly the way that I expect it to go. And and the other person is going to come to their senses. I've already come to my senses. They're going to come to their senses. They're going to say, I'm sorry. I'm going to say, I'm sorry. 
and then we're going to forgive each other, and we're going to hug it out, and everything's going to go well. Because we realize that we're, we ourselves are fallen people, and we deal with fallen people. And so reconciliation, it does not put all of its eggs in the reconciliation basket. It does not think that this is the only thing that can work. Sometimes it's not the right time. Sometimes the other person's not ready. Sometimes we may not be ready to really reconcile. So we are hopeful that it will work out, but we have to understand that the possibility exists that it will not work out. Now, ultimately, what this story tells us is that reconciliation is the work of God. Is that it's, it's not just about his work or what I can do, but really, we have to realize that there are three people in this relationship. There is me, there is the other person, and there is God. And if God is in the midst, that is really where our hope comes from. And that is part of his prayer that he prays. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. And he relies on the promise of God. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so, in fact, that night is the night in which Jacob wrestled with God. It is that night in which we get that famous story of Jacob wrestling with God. It was when he genuinely feared for his life and for his family's life, and he wasn't sure if the promises of God were going to be true for him, that he wrestled with God and would not relent until God blessed him. And it was that night that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It means one who wrestles with God. I really think this is such an important part of our story is because here we find God in the midst of this reuniting story between two people. And we see that Jacob or Israel's perseverance is one of his greatest gifts. Because the truth is, is that reconciliation requires perseverance. It requires us to wrestle with ourselves. We have to face ourselves and we have to realize, is there, what, what have we contributed to the situation? What could we have done better? What could we have done in order, what, where did we fall? It requires perseverance for us to look inward. It requires perseverance because we're going to work with somebody else who has their own issues, their own brokenness, maybe their own, their own struggles to realize what they've done wrong. We have to persist, and we have to persist with God because there are going to be moments in which we're going to say it's not reconciliation isn't worth it, I'm going to fight. Reconciliation isn't worth it, I'm going to fly away. Reconciliation isn't worth it, so I'm just going to freeze. But reconciliation keeps going. It keeps wrestling with God, and it keeps wrestling with someone else. And so in Genesis chapter 33, we see, we see what happens in this encounter. And again, the stage has been set. The two camps, what do we do in the midst of this? And it says here, that he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Do you see the humility that Jacob had? This bowing, this posture, this embracing of, of the power that Esau has over him. He goes and says, I want to be your humble servant. In some ways, it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, right? Right? 
Because in the story of the prodigal son, the, the son tells the father, essentially, you are dead to me. I just want my money. And so he gets his money and he squanders it. And when he comes back, he has prepared his apology speech. He has prepared to live as a servant. He has this humble posture. But what we see in the story of the prodigal son, we also see in the story of the unlikely brothers. Because it says here, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jacob and I saw my brother running, right, I would have been scared to death. Finally, after 20 years, he's going to get the moment that he wants. But one of the things that often happens in 20 years is that people change. In 10 years, people change. Now, sometimes people don't. But we often don't give credit to people that they may not be the same person they were five years ago when we had that argument. They may not be the same person, and you would probably sit there and say, well, I'm not the same person I was when we had that fight. And so I think here we can give each other credit, and we can say God can be at work, and if God is calling us to reconcile, then he will lead the way, and he will prepare our hearts for that. And so kids, in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of Jacob and Esau reuniting. What does this look like for them to, to really embrace one another after all this time, what does it look like in that way? You know, one of the most beautiful things we see is when people reconcile. It's a great thing that after all this time, people can come together and they can be reconciled. Now, we love the, the stories in the Bible sometimes because they, it makes it seem so easy. Here they go. Everything's good. They've reconciled. They've hugged. But the truth is, is that reconciliation is often much more a process than an event. And yes, the, the, the coming together and the hugs matter. And, and yes, that sets the tone for them to be able to reconcile and to really move forward in that way. But reconciliation is a process. And the more damage that has been done, the more damage that has to be undone. And so I want to share briefly, and I've been using a book by Everett Worthington called um, forgiving and reconciling. Um, and so whenever I talked about forgiveness and emotional forgiveness, then, um, then I, I referenced this book. And, and he also talks about how do we reconcile. And really what he talks about in this book of forgiving and reconciling is about two people who are drawing a, who are building a bridge and connecting to one another. Again, forgiveness is something I can do by myself, whether or not the other person knows about it. But reconciliation involves two people engaging in a relationship, and he uses this image of a bridge to do so. And so, kids, I invite you in box four to, to draw a picture of a bridge where there's one person on one side and the other on the other side, and they're building this bridge to one another. And so what he invites people to do is, if they're going to reconcile, to take these steps, and we both have to take them together. All right, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to decide to reconcile. We have to make the choice, and then we have to say, this is what we want to do, that we are choosing to reconcile, that we want to make things right. Now, sometimes this could involve some of those peace offerings, all right, if you will. Uh, that could be the, the flowers. It, it could be the ni nice card. It, it could be the, as it was with 
Jacob here, the oxen, the donkeys, the male servants, and female servants, right? Some sort of way that we're going to communicate that this is a decision that we are making together. Now, he talks about the second step being we have to discuss things, but with soft attitudes. This is so hard because the pain that was done to you is, is real and deep and meaningful. The pain that was done to them is real and deep and meaningful. But we have to be able to soften our hearts. You know, one of the things that I think so often happens in the midst of, of, our, of our pain is that we just build up on it. We are people who, for whatever reason as humans, we like to have enemies. And it's easy to cast blame on enemies, and sometimes it's very well-deserved. But whenever we want to reconcile, we have to have softened hearts. We have to listen. Empathizing is an important thing. Um, seeing other people with, with mercy eyes, to be able to see them as fallen, to be able to see them as somebody who is hurting and who made decisions out of their pain, not just out to get us. And so we have to listen. This is one of those conversations that isn't easy and it's awkward and you know, sometimes it feels like it's going good and then other times it doesn't. But this is where that perseverance comes through. And when you find yourself or the other person finds themselves building up that energy, it's time to take a break and to work, to get away and give some space. Because what we don't want to have happen in this reconciliation effort is that one of us in the midst of our pain or our brokenness say something and it just causes everything to go backwards. That may happen, but again, if we can discuss with soft attitudes, it can help out a great deal. We need to be ready to forgive one another. And then he talks about the third step, and again, we're both taking these steps together, is to detoxify the relationship. And I think that that's a good way to talk about a broken relationship is there's just so much toxicity in there, right? I mean, because I'm sure we've all been there and, and, and you know, we can just, whatever that person does is wrong. You know, and we can assume malintent, there's all sorts of stuff, but what we have to do is detoxify our hearts towards the other person, is to, is to take out some of that negative and replace it with positive. To instead of seeing that other person as the enemy, to seeing that person as your brother or your sister. You know, I, I, it doesn't tell us in the scripture, but I imagine that that's why Esau did what he did. Is that he saw his brother Jacob not as an enemy, but as his brother. His brother who, though they were quite different growing up, they still loved one another. His brother that they, they used to play with, that they ran around with, that they had a great time with, that he's called to love. And so we have to change the way we see one another in order to be able to detoxify. And we have to remind ourselves of why we're doing this. There are some relationships, as I said last week, that aren't, that aren't worth or that aren't safe to enter into reconciliation with. But if we are choosing to take this hard road of perseverance, of forgiveness, of grace, of, of swallowing our pride, of humility, then we, we choose that value of what the future could be, not just what it is. And I liked what he said in the book. He talked about two things that we need to give one another, latitude and gratitude. 
We need to give each other latitude to be able to, to talk about things or, or share things. Um, we need to be able to be grateful to one another, give gratitude towards one another to, to let them know, thank you for saying that, to be able to receive each other in that way. Latitude and gratitude, these two things matter a great deal. And the last step, the fourth step, he says, is to devote ourselves to each other. And one of the things that he talked about that was really important that is to resolve our grief over what we have lost. If you haven't had a relationship with your parent for eight years and you go to reconcile, you've lost eight years. You've lost trust. You've lost safety. You need to, that's a sad thing. You need to grieve that. If you and your best friend haven't talked for two months, you've missed these past two months, you need to grieve that. And so part of devoting is to devoting yourself to grief, but also to build love and to choose one another as you move forward, to devote, to say, this matters and we're going to keep moving forward. Now, if you've ever messed up in a relationship, you know, sometimes it's tricky because you're sort of walking on eggshells around one another. But we persevere and we devote ourselves to choosing this relationship. And it's not an easy road, but it's a worthwhile one. And it's one that we don't go alone. In fact, it may seem so intimidating to think, gosh, I don't know if I can make this relationship right. I don't know if it's worth the effort. But the good news is, is that God is in the midst of it. And that the God who wrestled with Jacob and the God who wrestled and changed his name to Israel is the same God who is with us. The God who brought Jacob and Esau together is the same God who could bring you and whoever it is together. This is who God is. He is a God of reconciliation. And he wants us to be whole. It is God's will that we be reconciled. I mean, this is, is part of what it says that Jesus reconciled the world to himself that's who he is, and that's what he does. And so for us, as we think about it, it can seem overwhelming if we think it's all on us. But this is another opportunity to, to let the goodness and the love and the grace of God be known in our lives. And so what I want to invite us to now is just a little time of prayer. You're welcome to pray there at your seats. You're welcome to pray there. Um, at your at your house and just have a I'm going to open us in prayer and then I'm going to have a time of silent prayer your the altar is going to be open uh, and you're invited to come and pray at the altar but let us just go to to God and just declare our need for him and our hope in him Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.